tuck in your jersey, pull up your shooter sleeve, and get ready for Between Two Buckets. What is up, Bucket Nation? Welcome back. Episode 3, February 21st. How you doing, Ezra? Oh, you know, just uh, seeing if I still have any energy left since the sun has begun to set. But uh, I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm excited. I, I feel it in my bones. NBA All-Star Reserves are coming out today, Tuesday. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for my man on the Knicks. Uh, but, uh, yeah, why don't we, uh, why don't we get into it? Uh, uh, let's talk about what happened this week. You want to go first? Sixers, highlights, highs and lows? Yeah, I do just want to double back that I got so confused when you said today, Tuesday, and I was like, we are not recording this on Tuesday. Am I, did I smoke too much or did, uh, I don't know what happened, but then I understood, oh, you know, you were just. You were going to make this look all special. And then I, I was, fuck. I was bending reality. Exactly. I was bending reality. You know, we record on Sundays and then we put it live on Tuesdays. So I was forecasting. Is that the right word? I don't know. Uh, so I was, you know what I was doing? All right, put it, put it together. And you can tell I was pretending it was Tuesday. So our listeners, both of you, uh, thanks Ezra's mom. Thanks Ezra's boy from Philly. No, thanks to my girlfriend, by the way, you know, she only listens if I put it on, which which I don't like. And let me tell you something. When she heard the first episode, she was so happy. She's like, I got to call Ezra and I got to thank him because for years, you know, you've been chewing my ear off about the team. You've been telling me this, that, and the other, and it's all great. And you're so passionate, but like now you just focus it all on Ezra and, and I I can't thank him enough, you know? So, you know, Ah. Nevertheless, she still, you know, hasn't listened. You know, I don't know. Maybe she's listening from the other room. Maybe. Um, anyway, well, wait a minute. Didn't you set up like a date night to listen to one of the episodes? Yeah, I did. That's that's I did. I did that. Yeah, I did that. So did you? I don't know how racy I can get, but did it go well or? Um, she was like pleased with my performance. Um, she thought you went a little long at times, uh, overall, yeah. she was like, she was like, that was a dominant performance Eagle. And so, yeah, I would say it went well. I would give myself a high, high rating on that. Nice. Strictly I, talking uh, podcast though, right? Strictly. We're, we're just talking podcast here. Yeah. I don't, I only specifically meant podcast for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So let's do it. Uh, this week, Sixers. Could have been uh, a really frustrating week overall, but then you asked me about what happened, Sixers, before we recorded, and I blacked out on everything other than Embiid putting up 50 because that was that was just such a dominant performance. Really, the whole – I looked at his, uh, his box scores the last uh, 15 or 16 games. His worst game point – totals wise was like he had 24 26 he's been consistently like low 30s is like the standard and i mean he's averaging over i think it's 30.5 uh before they play the raptors tonight sunday but it's just incredible to me how how unguardable he is honestly and how easy it is for him to pile up the points 
I mean, I guess the question is, and I know we're going to talk at length about him and his and his all-star berth, but is that sustainable for the year? Like, why is he carrying so much of the burden, the scoring burden on the team? Like, does he not have the teammates around him to, you know, not have him be such that guy? Uh, that could definitely be a longer question for sure. I think he is such a problem for other teams that, it's such a difficult decision on how you defend him. So there aren't a lot of other players on the Sixers who, or really not a lot of players in the league, honestly, who create such a conundrum for the defense. So by giving him the ball and saying, you're going to either have to double team me or I'm going to either foul out your front court players or just explode offensively. Uh, it makes the game easier for everyone else on the team. And there's really no one on the Sixers that can create that kind of offense for everyone else. Like I said, either him or for the team. So, you know, Tobias is having a great year. Simmons has been coming on. Um, but especially for the Sixers, there's no there's no other player where you can say, hey, just like give me the ball and go to work. And again, going to work doesn't that necessarily mean just scoring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I know he's got at least two teammates who are, you know, borderline, if not all stars this year. But it just seems like a guy who's doing so much this early in the season. And I get it. Like the week before all star, like you want to put on a show, remind the fans why you're getting into the game. But he's already secured his spot. He's already a starter in the East, right? He's, he's, he's going to be starting at the five in the East. So like, I get why Julius Randle is going to drop, you know, a 44 piece, you know, remind people uh, of how dominant he can be, but just seems like looking at his stats over the last two weeks, I, I've looked at them as well. Like, you know, he's putting up huge, huge performances, but you know, is that really what he needs to do at this point in time? You know, given you're a one C like that's, that's what somebody does when they have to put a, a team on their back and carry him. Uh, so I, anyway, I just wonder if that's sustainable for the year or if there's going to be post-All-Star game drop in production or if he just figures out. Because, I mean, what, what he really should do is look for ways to get the rest of his players going, get that fifth, sixth, seventh option going because those guys are going to be needed. Those guys are going to win one or two games in the playoffs when someone puts a nice scheme together for how to defend Embiid and he's more the decoy than the primary option, right? We all know what he can do offensively, but – you know, he's, he, he really should start to think about how do you get those other guys going? Well, like I said, their offense is almost – sometimes it just completely revolves around him, and that's for good reason. I don't think that he's – first of all, the 50-point game, that wasn't like a intentional statement game. I mean, the game before, he nearly had a, a triple-double. He had 31-11 and nine assists. So, and there's a lot of, I know there's stats for it. I haven't looked it up for Embiid, but second, uh, like hockey assists, second, second assists, he gets a lot of open shots for the Sixers, especially when they're in a rut and his usage, how often, you know, he creates offense. It's, it's a, pretty much the same as it's been his whole career. It's just that he's been so much more efficient, both getting to the line and everyone keeps saying he's shooting at an unsustainable rate from mid-range and yet he just keeps I think he's 
he's making like 60% of his mid-range shots. It's like insane. And it, there's going to be a, a reversion to the mean, but I don't think I would change, and I don't think Doc Rivers wants to change anything about how Embiid's playing. This isn't about, you know, for the sake of stuffing the stat sheet. And having watched the games, they need him to bail him out because they're not playing well overall. So hopefully that changes tonight. All right. Um, and so I guess quick recap on what happened in uh, Knicksland this week. Uh, yesterday, Saturday, was supposed to be a game against the Spurs, but due to four of their players entering COVID protocol, that game got postponed. They played tonight against the Minnesota Timberwolves in what I think is a, is a trap game, but you know hopefully they'll come correct. And then they had one game, I think, on Wednesday uh, against Orlando and lost by about 20 points. So one of those just you know bad games that you chalk up. They played poorly. They didn't execute. They didn't close out. Not a good defensive effort. Um, just one of those bad beats. So, you know, that happened. It was a quiet week otherwise. But I think a lot of the conversation has been, you know, as happens this time of year, has been about, you know, the all-star game, the starters, and, of course, a little bit of rumblings around, you know, potential trades, right? And there's a lot of names out there and a lot of guards out there that, uh, you know, could be of interest to the team. But, you know, still still TBD, still to be seen, you know, uh, you know what the front office decides to do, if anything, uh, to make their team better this year. Yeah, got to make those playoff moves. Yep. All right, so let's let's jump in uh, quickly. Of course, we we alluded to we're going to talk about some some all star candidacies. We're also interestingly nice find Jay Z. We're going to talk about the data from the most hated players according to Twitter. Yeah. And then we're going to introduce a new segment dedicated to one of my personal best friends, Brian Colangelo. But first, we should get into our sponsors. That's right. We got new sponsors this week. That's true. We keep rolling them in. It's insane. It's 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 a streak unlike other. Maybe Embiid's streak of dominance is if the you're, only if other you're, one. If you're a sponsor out there or a potential sponsor out there, don't be afraid to write us. Okay, don't worry about the competition we embrace many sponsors of many kinds. Keep reaching out. Keep telling us you, you love the show. You want to be a part of the show. Continue to do so. Uh, and and let's, let's bring in this week's sponsors. All right. Between Two Buckets is brought to you by the government of Texas. Hey. Don't prep for the game by watching game film. Get on your burner account and start tweeting now. Nice. The government of Texas, where the game plan is to just give the ball to James Harden until he's gone. The government of Texas. We lost by 20 because of the refs. <laughs> nice. Thank you, Texas. All right, let's let's uh, let's get into some all-star chat. Uh, you know, you've got a few players on your squad that are, uh, you know, viable candidates. Uh, why don't we start with Embiid? Obviously, he made his spot. Tell us, tell us what makes him so damn good. He was, I mean, he was always a great player. We knew that. Um as all-star conversations tend to go, it's just all about offense. So let me really quickly state that the reason he, in a lot of smarter people than me, a lot of their minds, he's the leading candidate for MVP because he's amazing at both ends of the floor. So his impact on on defense for the Sixers, especially having gotten rid of some guys who are better at defense for the offensive fit, He's just he makes up for so many different mistakes and and the the success that that teams have around the rim. 
when he's around is super low. The success the teams have from the three-point line is low because defenders can stick up on three-point shooters knowing Embiid is back there. That said, all-star combos, we love to talk about offense. So as I mentioned, he has a huge usage rate. So that's just the number of possessions where he either shoots, gets to the line, uh, gets an assist or turns it over. He's 99th percentile for bigs. He uses 33.6%. And despite having such a monstrous offensive burden that you asked about, he's shooting uh, or he's scoring at such an incredible level. And he, he's for every shot attempt, uh, or rather for every 100 shot attempts, he's scoring 133 points. That's the 90th percentile for bigs. And bigs tend to have a greater point for shot attempt because a lot of them just get dunks and don't carry the amount of burden that Embiid does. But the biggest difference, the reason he's been so effective, so efficient, is he's getting to the line even more than he did before. He's already great at drawing fouls. But this year, he's just been so much more difficult because he's created he's created an a face-up game that it's just unguardable. The, the reason he struggled in the playoffs before beyond team construct is, you know, it's easier to double team a guy in the post. And it's easier to keep a guy who's reliant on an entry pass from getting the ball. So now that you can just give him the ball at the top of the key and he can go to work, there's just you're either you're either going to be a big guy out on the perimeter guarding another big guy but who has the dexterity of a much smaller, quicker player or you're a small guy who's basically going to be backed under the rim and dunked on or you know create a double team. So mm-hmm. I think really the 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 reason he's getting to the line is that he's added that element of of the one on one on one sort of iso plays, and that it's just, it creates just another avenue for teams to foul. What do you think about when you compare him? Like I, I get it, his stats are off the charts, right? How do you compare him with Jokic, right? How do you compare him with AD? How do you compare him with you know LeBron and KD? Like where does he fall in the hierarchy in the pecking order of MVP? And and, uh, and and just, you know, contextualize his, his season for us. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I'm not really the type of person who gets too caught up in MVP conversation this early. Uh, but it's something that I guess the, the media has been talking a little bit about now, I guess, because all-star voting is up. You know, it's a good time to assess where things are. But at least for first half or third MVP, however much time has gone by, he is, as I alluded to, he's been dominant offensively. And you can make a case that Jokic has been almost equally as dominant, especially just for Jokic, his ability to create offense for others even though I've talked about Embiid has an ability to do that I don't know that and maybe you can think of someone you can compare him well, to Jokic, you know, just when you talk about you know offense for others he's averaging 8.6 assists to Embiid's 3.2 assists insane so, I mean insane. he's creating a lot more offense for others 
Yeah, and and those those stats specifically are a little misleading. There are a lot of and when Embiid gets doubled, the reason it's such good offense is he's going to make a pass to the open guy. When defenses have to scramble and recover, the ball is going to get thrown around. So by the time the ball is shot, it might be three passes after Embiid kicked it out from the double team. But he realistically created that scoring opportunity. He's just not getting the assist in the stat sheet. Well, that said, you know, I just I just happen to have their comparative stats here. I'm looking at Jokic. Here are some stats that he's outperforming. Joel Embiid, right? He's shooting a higher field goal percentage, 57% to 54.5, higher free throw percentage, 88 to 85, more rebounds per game, more assists per game, uh, and, yeah, turnovers are about the same, more steals per game, 1.7, 1.3, and le- fewer points. So Embiid's got Embiid on points and blocks, but every other statistical category goes into Jokic's favor. Well, I don't really look at field goal percentage anymore. I think there are better ways to measure efficiency. Um, so I look at true shooting percentage. That that takes into account the value of a three-pointer uh, over <laughs> the, the additional point of, uh, of taking a three versus a two. And, and Jokic traditionally has been the better three-point shooter, but – this year, and he's taking fewer of them, but Embiid is shooting 40% as of today. So that's how, but true shooting also includes your percentage at the line. And he's been, he's shooting 85% for the line and getting to the line, I think more than anyone else in the league. So if you look at that stat, Embiid's uh, true shooting percentage is 66.6% to Jokic's 65.8. So it's close. But again, for me, the reason he's the MVP is they are close. They have different games, but they're relatively close offensively. It's not even it's not even a debate on the defensive side of the ball. So um, I think when you look at how impactful he is for the entire game, and when you just look at the record, the Sixers' record with and without him, and it's always been this way, but it's just even more crazy. They're they're just they they're one in five, I believe, without Embiid, and that one win was like a crazy comeback win that they really underperformed for three quarters. Again, it's a long season. Uh, I just think that his value on both ends of the floor is is unmatched. So talk to me about his his teammates, you know, Simmons and Tobias Harris. Both guys are, you know, fringe or or in the conversation for all-star spots. Uh, you know, I, if you could only have one guy make the game, who, who would it be? Yeah, it's a tough, conver- uh, tough conversation and a tough decision to make. If we're going on what I just said, about the impact on the defensive end and the offensive end, to me, it's no question it's it's Ben Simmons. The problem is typically with all-star game stuff, no one cares about that. Mm-hmm. But there is um, from the B-ball index, they, they use some advanced stats to measure a team's uh, – or rather a player's – ball dominance essentially their their usage rate like how much their team depends on them to run the offense or score and how much defensive impact they have 
And if you look at this chart, it so it plots all, all the players in the NBA, again, based on ball dominance and defensive impact. Two guys stand alone in, in that chart, LeBron James and Ben Simmons. Now, obviously, they're not the same player, but Ben Simmons defensively is going, he's going to get defensive player of the year votes. He's going to be an all NBA uh, defensive player. A lot of coaches think he's the best defender in the league. Um, you know, centers typically because they have a more impact, they tend to get those, those votes as the de- defensive player of the year, but he legitimately guards one through five. And unlike a lot of players who have a huge offensive burden, he's guarding almost every game, the best player on the other team. He guarded Devin Booker and when he was on him, shut him down. Ironically, I don't know why they took him off of Devin Booker when they played the Suns and put Danny Green on him, and that's when Booker went off. So he's guarding guys like that. He's going to guard a Julius Randle from time to time. He's going to guard Kevin Durant. He's going to guard Kyrie Irving sometimes. So his versatility and his effectiveness is just insane. On the offensive end, go ahead. I watched the game when when he played the Knicks, and he didn't guard Randle. He guarded R.J. Barrett. And and admittedly, he took Barrett out of his game. He was gobbling up Barrett, and and I could see the frustration. You know, it, 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 you know, he just he couldn't get a step on him. And Barrett's game is largely about slithering, you know, using his physique and like you know making his way, snaking his way to to, to the bucket. And and you know, Simmons just kind of took him out of his rhythm. And so I saw how dangerous he was, but he wasn't like bodying Randall. You know, I think that would be a good matchup given that he's actually got an inch on Randall. But Randall's style of play is just so physical. Uh, and I think he outweighs him by probably about 20 pounds, but he's also just really skilled down low. So, you know, I'll, I'll check it out for the rest of the season, see if they continue to put him on that matchup. But, you know, I also think part of the part of the deal with with Embiid is there aren't a lot of guys in the East that can guard him. You know, Jokic, I think they're like bigger. There are better big men out West and they're still having a, they're still having trouble with him. But I think Embiid doesn't have as much man to man conversation down low. Like who's going to guard a guy down low? who's physical and, and, and violent down there, but also can scooch up. I can't, honestly, I can't think of one guy who can kind of match with him in both regards. It's not just the East. Um, it's, it's the whole, it's the whole damn league. Like it used to be Horford and Gasol thwarted him a little bit, especially in the playoffs when the, when the Sixers played the Raptors he took him out of his game or, you know, there's also injuries that and, and his fitness, honestly. Um, and we'll see what happens in the playoffs. Obviously, it's a long way away, but they played the Lakers and Gasol, while he doesn't necessarily play a lot, they didn't want Anthony Davis on him. They knew that was going to be a problem. He guarded him a little bit. Ironically, it was Embiid who guarded Davis more, especially later in the game, and he really made it difficult. But he played Gasol, had a great game against the Lakers. I think it's Embiid understands now that he's unguardable and what he needs to do to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that's what's been so exciting. But but back to your original question, you know, Harris, he's had a really, really good year and he's been big for the Sixers. He's also hit some big shots, some game winners. Um, Simmons, I think what's tough is he started out so slow that even though he's come on strong, sorry, 
started off so slow on the offensive end. Defense, he's been locked in from the jump. But he's just been a lot less assertive, or he was, ever since the Harden trade. I remember there was a game, uh, it was a nationally telephone, I want to say it was ESPN, and, and Doris Burke was talking about the passivity of him in the first three quarters. He turned it on in the fourth quarter and was a monster. The guy that everyone wishes was there consistently. Ever since that time, and I want to say that was, again, like a, the next game or a few games after the Harden trade, his aggressiveness has been through the roof, and it's been amazing. Now, yeah. if you want to not him for that. Yeah, it looks like a different year for Tobias. Like, you know, he's a Long Island guy, and uh, and, and so I'm familiar with his game. I've kind of tracked him a, a little bit. And, you know, and I've always kind of been a little up and down. It seems like he was overpaid. It seems like he didn't quite have the engine. He was skilled, but not like particularly skilled in one area above the rest. But this year, like his his force, like his will is just so much more powerful this year. Like what he does from the outside, his his strength driving to the bucket. Like, you know, I think he's just playing a really great game right now. He's playing out of his mind this year, basically, you know. Yeah, he's he's doing exactly what the Sixers need. And the biggest difference, I think, it's it's not the I forget which word you use, but not the assertiveness per se. Um, it's the decisiveness. And that's Doc talked about that before the season started. That what he noticed was in uh impede. Tobias was a lot more indecisive and and thought the game a little bit more as opposed to when he had opportunities either making the pass or making the move. And now he's just way more assertive and it's made it simpler for him in a way. The reason I, I, I kind of, I think all his numbers and his productivity are all-star worthy. The difference between him and Randall, let's say, who I want to ask you about, is he is – you could argue this the second guy offensively for the Sixers. And B or excuse me, it was Embiid. Simmons, he's not a scorer at heart, but you you I think the Sixers, if they're at their best, are getting Simmons as being like the second the the second guy who you're asking to uh create offense. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean taking shots. But so Tobias, it's it's simpler for him. There's not as much um, pressure on him, and especially when they pair him with the second units, he re- he really is the offensive engine um, for those for those units. So it's been great. But Randall is asked to to carry a bigger burden. So you know, I'm interested to hear what you think about him in his case as an All Star. Yeah, I mean, I, I like you know, I, I like his chances this year. Um, let me tell you how, how I approached looking at, you know, the Eastern squad, right? We have our, our top five starters. Then there's like room for seven more players, right? So, and the way I try to do the seven is I go three guards, three bigs, and then like a flex, right? So when I think about the guards, I think Harden, Zach Levine, you know, I think, you know, Trey Young, uh, you know, I know he's more bubble, but, you know, I think you want to try to give the hometown a local guy to root for. So, you know what? We're doing Trey Young a, a favor this year. Fuck that. <laughs> not not for the, like, whether or not he deserves it. And I'm, like, iffy, honestly. But uh, just the idea of the hometown team, they're not even there anyway. Well, I mean, when I think about that, – that's fair, right? But when I think about All-Star Game, like, the All-Star Game is nothing but a showcase 
and it should be, you know, the best players, but also the ones who are most entertaining. And so that does factor a little bit into like when you got those like dogs who are like, you know, scrapping on the floor and stuff like, yeah, the fans get behind them. But if you can have that or you can have a high flyer or, you know, a dunking machine, a three point, you know, from half court, like I think it's about the the X factor or like the, you know, the, 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 the tipping point is the players that bring something special to the game. Right. And, you know, and I got to say about Trey, like there's something if you were watch, if you watch him, you know, there's something a bit exciting about how he plays. So he's his game seems better tailored for, you know, an all star game than a lot of his, you know, a lot, a lot of his peers, you know, that are also on the bubble. So anyway, so I don't want to talk more about Trey. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, when I start to get into the. Play, though. I yeah, will say, though, that's interesting that you said your perspective on the All-Star game because it's a it's a weird thing to to wrap my head around, but or not to wrap my head around, but people look back at someone's career and like, oh, they made 10 All-Star games. And as that's as a, as a way to validate someone's career. And it seems like if we're going to do it about what their entertainment value is, not to say that that's wrong, but it's obviously way more difficult to make all NBA because there's only 15 spots, the first, the second and the third team. So for the guys like Trey young, who they wouldn't make a Trey young or, or Randall or Vucevic, like they, they're not going to make any of the all NBA teams, but those guys who, are the well this year what's it 24 players so 12 on each team is that right or is it 15 mm-hmm. guys i think it's i think it's 12 this year yeah so that's tougher all right so it's not as many but still 15 to 24 yeah. you know you're leaving out a lot of those guys who are who are really really impactful but just not the upper echelon so yeah no, that's I, just- I get it it's not and then you know personally like the fan voting like i see what they're trying to do with that but like it just seems to throw off the purity of the game you know like I'm, I'm as huge of an Allen Iverson fan as there is, but you know he got voted in as a starter when he wasn't even starting on the Pistons. You know, like the system is a little bit flawed in that regard. There needs to be a little bit of a maybe flex according to team, you know, well, they by the team something that just kind of makes the game, you know, ensures a little bit of integrity. But you know what? Again, it's an All Star game. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a showcase. Um, I'm not saying you always go for the high flyer. I'm just saying in tip ball situations where you're a high flyer and a high score. I mean, look, Trey's a 27 point per game, nine assists per game. You know, he's the juggernaut that is the Hawks and they've built the whole team around him and everybody's come to play with Trey. So like, you know, uh, they've also come to live in the city of Atlanta, but you know, it's not like the guy's a scrub. It's not like he's borderline. I mean, he's, he's deserving of a nod. It's just, He's probably more that sixth or seventh or eighth guy when you consider the bench, you know. And so, anyway, so that's you know. Yeah, he's not a scrub. I mean, I honestly can't stand watching him because yeah. he's going to get fouled from the three point line so often. But he's very exciting, uh, no doubt about it. I'm also uh, surprised we don't get more of an Emmanuel quickly comparison with Trey Young, two undersized shooting guards that are capable of running teams and dishing the ball and have these like little juke moves. I think Quickly's uh, floater game is actually a little better than Trey's, but they both have big floaters and they both have big time outside shots. And yet no one ever talks about them comparatively. Isn't that odd? You would expect New York to make outlandish comparisons like that. But <laughs> I would expect you to make an outlandish comment like that. Yeah. 
Well, I I can't say I've watched quickly enough yet to to make any assertions there. I'll leave that to you. All right. But I do want to hear hear the case for Randall. First, I assume you feel like he's earned an all-star bid. Yeah, yeah. So so just to finish off, you know, I, I think and then I and then I would kind of put Jason Tatum, you know, the, these are my bench players. So it essentially nets out to like four guys for three spots, right? The four guys are two centers. You got Bam Adebayo having a great year. Nikola Vukovic also having a great year. So one of those two at the center. And then to me, it's kind of Randall and Sabonis, right? The power forward out of Indiana. Statistically speaking, very, very comparable guys. You know, I think, you know, I think, you know, Julius probably, you know, he's averaging 23, 11, 5.5. He's shooting almost 50% from the field, 80% from the line. And he's carrying the Knicks, right? Like there are games where Randall is the second best scorer on the team. And he's pretty, you know, frankly, he's he's good. But, you know, he's not an outside shooter, you know. And so that inconsistency means Randall's got a lot of the burden on his shoulders. And when you think about Sabonis in Indiana, they've got Malcolm Brogdon, who's, who's having a great year. Miles Turner, they've got some really strong players. I would say the supporting cast in Indy is better than the supporting cast in New York. Their record is better too. So like fourth seed versus like seventh or eighth seed. Um, but I think what Randall does differently, like when I watch them play, Randall plays like the better player, right? Randall carries more of the offensive burden for the team. I also think his team's record is what it is because of him. Whereas I don't think if you took, if you took both players off of their respective teams, I think the Knicks would be a lot worse and the fall off for Indiana would not be as bad. You know, I think Indiana benefits, you know, benefits him as a potential all-star, whereas he has to like carry a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of games for the Knicks. So stats being what they are pretty even, uh, but maybe slight edge to Randall. And then also just his, his importance to the team, you know, makes him, makes him, uh, makes, puts him ahead in my, in my estimation. Well, it's weird that you put Sabonis in that conversation, but not Simmons, Harris, or Chris Middleton, who he's having a great year too. But um, it's true. I, I don't think Randall has nearly the structure for – he kind of is the offense. Am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. So, I mean, the, the, here's here's the dynamics of the Knicks offense, right? I mean, at the end of the day, they are – a get the ball to Julius Randle team. Um, they don't run a ton of pick and rolls with him. They probably prefer to run the pick and roll with Mitch because he's such an effective like lob catcher. And I think they want to pick their poison, right? So it's like you run the pick and roll, Alfred Payton runs it or Austin Rivers runs it or Derek Rose runs it with Mitch, right? That's an easy bucket if the guy converts, if the, if the defender switches, you throw it up to Mitch, he goes and he grabs it, right? This guy is more than proficient. This guy is like going to be an all-time great in effective field goal percentage. And, you know, he, he set the he set the all-time record last year for field goal percentages at, at over 74% beating Wilt Chamberlain, uh, his record, because all he does is catch lobs. Not saying he doesn't have more of a game, right? And Knicks fans know, you know, if you follow him on, on, on social, you can see him, you know, just hitting bucket after bucket from long range. Like Mitch has got more game to be shown, but for some reason they're not designing plays like that. Like they just want him to take high percentage shots. And that's what's happening. So, you know, so that's not really a focal point of the offense. That's just kind of one of those things that they do to keep teams guessing. And then you also have the play of the dynamic guards, like what Quickly does and what Derrick Rose does with their long range and mid range games. So they've got some nice pieces around them, right? But at the end of the day, it's get the ball to Randall 
and let him facilitate the offense. I mean, the guy at times this season has been averaging, you know, almost six points, uh, six assists a game. Um, so his vision is a lot better. His willingness to pass out of doubles, the fact he doesn't roll into triple coverage anymore. Like his game has definitely come up a notch. Some of that's better coaching. Some of that's the coaching staff just telling him to do what he does well. And like they're ma- they're getting maximum out of him. Like they're they're not trying to get more out of him than what he's capable of doing. And I think this is what Thibodeau does is he gets the best out of his players for what they can offer. So he's always getting maximum value out of his players. So that's what's happening with Randall. And, you know, and, you know, I think, and he's, and they're, they're, frankly, they're trying to do that with every other player. Um, and that's why you see them figuring out it's 20 games in, but they're trying to figure out, you know, what's the best way to play Julius Randall. What's the rest way to play, you know, um, RJ Barrett. So, you know, again, it's pretty new with the new coaching staff and everything else. But, you know, I think Randall's um, every year he's gotten better in the league. If you look at it, too, every year he's gotten better. He's his usage rate gets higher. His field goal percentage, his effective field goal percentage, his scoring, his assists, his rebounds. I mean, statistically, he's done nothing but climb the charts. It's impressive. And his teammates love him. You know, I'm talk about, too, like. You know, everyone says he's such a great locker room guy. He's like a stable family man, you know, married with kids. And 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 he just shows up as a professional. He works his ass off. You know, Kenny Payne talks about his work ethic. Everyone talks about his work ethic. He comes back. His conditioning is top notch. He's like one of those bigger guys. So you figure his conditioning wouldn't be there, but it's there. I mean, he's he's embarrassing other players by just beating them up the court, you know? Yeah. Well... You know, I think based on what you said in the beginning, if it's about excitement, though, and it's between Simmons and Randall, who uh, who who do you rather watch? Well, I mean, I don't think it. I don't think it's going to come down to those two because I think Simmons. With you, you know, I I think Simmons plays a different position. You know, so I think I think what happens is Randall makes it in as a big, and Simmons. You know, would you pick Simmons over Harden? I wouldn't. I think Harden's having a better, you know, I think Harden is more of an all-star than Ben Simmons is. You know, would I pick him over Zach Levine, over Jason Tatum? You know, he's certainly in there. I mean, I know you, you just broke down, you know, what an awesome two-way player he is. And I think you're right. Defense doesn't always get rewarded in an all-star game. So if you take a, if you take half the credit off of his defense and you put him up, I mean, fact is he's a 15-point-per-game scorer with bad shooting percentages. And Jason Tatum can do some pretty awesome things, you know? But I like Ben Simmons. I mean, I would put I would put Simmons in the All Star game. I would. You know, I think it's just a question of like at expense. His shooting percentages definitely aren't bad. I mean, he doesn't shoot jump shots, but by nature of going to the rim all the time, I mean, he shoots fifty seven fifty seven point three percent. So um, I guess that's from two taking a few threes, but. So, but either way, I, I'm going to assume he doesn't make it mostly as narrative because he started off slow and uh, I don't really care if we're being honest. It would be fun to see him in there, but um, makes no difference to me. Well, so let me ask you, right, compared to some of the other guards in the East, you know, the, the three guys I would, I would plug in a, in the bench would be Harden, Levine and Jason Tatum. Where do you think Simmons falls in that, you know, amongst those four? Harden's just been so crazy since he's come to the Nets. Like that, that, that's pretty much a no brainer. Levine has been awesome this year, offensively, obviously. Uh, 
I was listening or reading, can't remember, about he has a terrible defensive reputation. And apparently he's improved a little bit on that end. Um, and he's another guy where he's, in a lot of ways, the offense for Chicago. Yeah. In terms of impact on the game, though, and again, that's not necessarily how people look at the All-Star game, but Ben Simmons is going to guard Zach Levine if they just played, but Simmons unfortunately uh, had an illness that wasn't COVID. Um, but he's he locks down a guy like that. And then when Levine isn't scoring, well, what what is he really providing? His assists are up a little bit, um, but for the sake of the All-Star game, like when you have a guy who's averaging almost – 29 points a game i get it people are going to want to put him in but in terms of impact on winning i think simmons is there but i get that tatum i mean everyone loves tatum he's having i guess sort of an up and down year but again when people just love to look at the scoring so 26 points um and he obviously does a lot a lot of other things too he's a good defender his rebound seven points five assists a game he's a great player but um you know, it's it's tough to make those calls. I, I think because of the up and down nature of Simmons' start and now coming on strong, at least offensively, um, I I have no problem with Tatum being being in over over him. But um, I mean, if you have Bam and Vucevic in there in the front court, then then the wild cards, or sorry, I guess it would be three, right? Uh, Bam, Vucevic, and Randall. Well, so I think it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. These are the guys. I mean, I, I like I, – I really like your analysis. I agree with Harden. I think what he's doing from an assist standpoint, from a facilitation standpoint, watching him play on the nets has been, like, revelatory because everyone knew he could lead the league in scoring three years in a row. But, but you know, just watching how easy the game is for him, the lanes, the footwork, the efficiency. I mean, the guy really is one of the all-time greats. And I don't think we talk about that enough. Like, I think that too much of the narrative this year has been around, you know, how he had to get himself out of Houston because behind the scenes requests like weren't working. So he had to go public. And I think he's been vilified about a bit for that. Hopefully vindication comes come playoff time. Um, and then, you know, Zach Levine, I'm with you. Like, you know, um, the thing that stands out to me about Zach Levine is how efficient he is as a scorer. Like, he doesn't look to me to be one of those players that plays with a lot of joy. He plays determined to be efficient. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? You can be a max contract guy. You can, you know, you certainly have a space on any team if you are a high efficiency, high volume scorer, 29 points a game, you know, over five assists and boards, like phenomenal statistics, right? And But just watching him play, it's like, you know, I don't know what he brings to the team from a team building standpoint. And then I think in Chicago, you got other problems. You got Wendell Carter and you got Laurie Markinen who haven't quite hit their peak. And I think they're a bit up and down. Both are dangerous players. Both can have a great night and help your team get to a win. But I don't think Chicago's quite figured out their identity, right? Um, and then you got Kobe White and they got all those, you know, assortment of guards. So, Zach, I mean, I think statistically, you obviously make the case at 30 points a game. You know, he, he's, you know, he's deserving of an all-star nod. But, you know, again, what Simmons does defensively and then like kind of who's better, you know, because here's the thing. When I watch all-star games, like you can always tell, you know, the dynamic players, the players who are just really elite, you know, they make the all-star game fun. You know, the dunks, the half-court shots, the alley-oops. And then you've got guys who come in and maybe they come in and they earn their spots through grit, 
and determination. Like, yeah, they get their 6, 12, 15, you know, 16 minutes in an all-star game. But coaches do that because, A, they're first-timers or, you know, B, they're, you know, like their, their game just doesn't translate into all-star type performances, right? Big bombastic performances. So, you know, Levine, you know, look, I think if Levine gets in the game, you know, he's not just going to be an outside shooter. His efficiency might not, you know, come through in an all-star game because that's not what the game's about. But let's not forget what an amazing dunker he is and and what he can do, you know, what he, right. I mean, he's, you know, also one of the greats there. So, you know, I think that's interesting. Tatum, yeah. I think you covered him perfectly. Like, I got nothing else to say about Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum thinks he's the lead, he's in the conversation for MVP. You know, he's obviously not there yet, or maybe not obviously, but in my opinion, he's not there yet. Boston callers, give me a call, say, tell me, tell me otherwise. But interestingly, uh, though, I've, I looked it up. He's he's not like he's putting up the points. He's in the thirty sixth percentile of forwards in effective field goal percentage. Yeah. So, I, and which is weird because. He's also making thir- over 39% of his threes. So uh, I, it must be – let me figure this well, out. It must be also, I just want to add this. He's also been sick. He's had COVID. So he's talked about his conditioning post-disease. And so that may be affecting his game as well. So I'm going to give him a, I'm going to give him a, a break on that. Uh, I, I, think, I think, man, just like he's not, he's not feeling 100%, you know? Yeah, well, I – I, I hear that. That still shouldn't there aren't any excuses for the uh you know for the selection, but I hear that. One thing I did want to lastly add on Levine is I heard that because he he works with Drew Hanlon, a trainer who also works with ironically Tatum and Embiid amongst other players who are really, really talented. Drew Hanlon does not let him dunk at all in the offseason. Huh. He forces him to focus on every other part of his game, uh, not only not only for getting better, but also so that people wouldn't see the like Instagram videos of him dunking and pigeonhole him as just the dunker, which I thought was pretty fascinating. I want I want to share this. Uh, I saw I saw a clip recently about Kobe was talking to Tracy McGrady back in the day, and you know he was asking about his workout routine and Tracy was uh you know like one of those gym rats and he said but yeah but he's like but T-Mac you're always looking to get into games and he goes yeah because I love the practice and like the guys guarding me and all that shit and Kobe was like I don't waste my time in games because the the two hours you play spending a game and putting up let's call it 30 shots you can spend two hours and put up 300 shots and ultimately what do you think is going to help your game more so ever since I heard that like Kobe to me is just you know, he figured the game out. He figured out everything, you know, second to Michael Jordan, but he figured out everything to do right about making yourself the world's best player, you know, from a work ethic standpoint. And so when I hear like how guys are working out, if they're working out to work on parts of their games that are already their strengths and then parts of their games that are weaknesses to get those better, like I'm kind of glad to hear Zach Levine is not just working on dunks and putting highlight reels out. But it looks like he's working on his on his shooting efficiency and his footwork, and it shows, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's well. No good. Uh, I was just going to say, do you think we should uh, we should take a little break here and talk about some of our uh, some of our other sponsors this week? Yeah, I actually was going to recommend since we're getting pretty up there in time. I am excited to talk about the most hated players on Twitter, but I'm thinking maybe we lead off next week with that 
and get to uh, our last little new segment that we want to tee up. What do you think? Sure. Yeah, I'm down with that. Let's do it. Uh, so we'll talk about right. our, and then we'll bring up this new this new section. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. So uh, I'm very pleased to announce Between Two Buckets has a new sponsor. Uh, it's the Euro Stashes. Okay. Uh, Euro Stashes because it's only a matter of time until Mustaches return to the NBA. Euro Stashes, they hardly ever come stateside, but they're probably better off anyway. Hmm. Euro Stashes because how else will the NBA get 4,200 new fans in Montenegro? It's big time. Let's not forget Zaza. They changed the voting rules because of Zaza Pachulia. Yep, the Zaza rule. All right, so let's talk about um, this new column. Ezra, why don't you introduce it? Yeah, uh, as a huge fan of Brian Colangelo, as I mentioned, we wanted to create what is known as the Colangelo column. The Colangelo column is a segment where we're going to highlight just an awful, awful article that someone in the media or blog sphere has written. So this may be about uh, trying to predict who the greatest NBA players will be in 15 years for whatever reason, as if we could predict something like that. Or it could be something like this week's uh, by Clutch Points titled LaMelo Ball is a right-handed version of Ben Simmons. Uh, what, what do you think of that title, Jay-Z? I think that's junk. I, I don't know why they would put something like this. To, it seems like they drew names out of a hat. And in one hat, they had LaMelo Ball. And in the other, they had Ben Simmons. Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say there was a rabbit in one of them. Oh, uh, well, uh, eh. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I can't do anything with a rabbit. No, yeah, no, it's all good. Yeah, except except there's no magic sure. here. I, I think there's they're no totally. I think their games are totally different, right? I mean, let me read you what what I took two lines out of it. I actually clicked on this shit. So they say they concede. He concedes. I don't have. I don't want to badmouth him by name, but I don't remember it either. But concedes that, quote, LaMelo Ball and Ben Simmons are not literal carbon copies of each other. I don't think they're copies really at all. However, he adds that, quote, they're tall floor generals whose offensive bedrock is their athleticism, end quote. Uh, Any thoughts on that, Jay-Z? I still disagree with both premises there. I mean, they're just... Their styles of play are just very different. And if you're looking for a LaMelo Ball comparison, there's at least like five other guys I could think of that are not Ben Simmons. Like Ben Simmons is so far down that list. Um, <laughs> I think LaMelo Ball is the height of the current generation of point guards. 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. You know, there's a ton of guards coming out of that size. Do I think his court vision is tremendous? Yes. Do I think, you know... If I'm looking for comparisons of guys with that kind of court vision and passing ability, I think Lamelo, what he can do really well is pass not just like a half court game, but he can. He's one of those like full court. You know, he can see the full court and pass to either side with either hand. I mean, I think if you want to give him a very ambitious uh, comparison, I think you could. You know, you could say he's like his brother. I think there are elements of a, a young Jason Kidd, the way he'd push the tempo. Um, I, I, I kind of get what they're saying with Ben Simmons because you could describe him in the same way, but I think like how they lead their teams and the impact of their teams are very different. Defensively, I think it's night and day. I think LaMelo will occasionally get a highlight type play, you know, a steal or two and leading to transition. Like 
but it's not because he's a good defensive player. It's because he will sacrifice a smart defensive play to make a bad defensive play. He'll, he'll take the risk, you know, whereas I think. And having read the article. Yeah. You think so? Go ahead. No, I, uh, having, what were you saying about reading the article? I didn't read the article. Uh, what did it say? It was it agreeing. Was it agreeing? No, no, no. I was just saying that having read the article myself and it wasn't long or a use of my time that uh, was very valuable, but there was like one passing mention of defense in there. Oh. I just find it mostly funny that it's like they're tall floor generals. And by tall, you're comparing a six, six guy to a six, 11 guy. I, yeah. Yeah. No, it reminds I, me of Brian Colangelo level and aptitude. And that's why we, we gave it that moniker. I like I like this uh this new column. I like the Colangelo column. Let's talk about, you know, some of the worst clickbaity articles that are out there for the week. I, I think this is a this should be a popular segment. We should keep doing it. Oh yeah. And let's just like let's give rookies more than like a third of the season before we compare them to anyone, if yeah. if we don't mind. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. You think Lamelo is going to win Rookie of the Year, or what do you what are you thinking there, Anthony Edwards? Uh, Lamelo probably will. When you already have the the eyes and hype, and then you play play well, you're you're probably going to get it. But uh, I haven't even looked to. I know White uh, James Wiseman was doing well for Golden State, but um, he's hurt, so I haven't seen much of Anthony Edwards. But uh, who cares? It's a meaningless award if we're being honest. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, yeah. Remember, Michael Carter Williams won one, so <laughs> yeah, go Sixers. Yeah, right. nice. Um, all right, well then, should we uh, should we wrap it up for this week's uh, this week's episode? Let's uh, let's cue that music. <laughs>